Let me uh, turn us now towards the fantastic story of the scripture. Uh, so as you look at what we're going to uh, study from the scriptures this morning, you may notice that the message memo looks a lot different than normal, and we're going to look at that in a moment. But turn over, in case you haven't noticed on the back, uh, we have now weekly what we call our application questions. So often that happens in our family groups, not always, but just a reminder to you that when we look at the scriptures, it's not just to give us information, it is to bring transformation in our lives. And so uh, there's always some additional scripture and some questions for you to consider. How's the word of God intended to be, bring change in your life? It gives me an opportunity as well to say that if you have been attending CFC but not taken the next step to connect with a smaller group of individuals, uh, it is great to gather as a congregation for worship, for baptism, for teaching. But we're not just intended to gather as a church. We're intended to practice what the New Testament calls the one another's, to love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another. And that's hard to happen among hundreds, but it can happen in a smaller setting. So if this has become your church and you haven't connected to a small group, let me encourage you to take that next step. John Harmeline, who shared in our baptisms this morning, he leads our family groups here. And so if you would want to take a next step in a family group, reach out to him, John H at cfcjacks.com, and he'll help you get connected to a small group. Second, you'll see at the bottom of this uh, backside of the message memo that throughout this series, uh, I'm going to give each week six more days of Bible reading. In the fall, we did the New Testament in 90 days, and it was more in order. This will jump around, but it's jumping around to follow up the sermon that you'll hear today. So these six chapters will be a follow-up from what you've heard today and help prepare you for next week as well. So if you don't have any other Bible reading plan, here's a chapter each day for you to be in the scriptures because actually one of the great things of being the children of God is that he does speak to us through his word. And so this will give you an idea of where each day you might go Open the scriptures and read and allow the Lord to speak to you. All right. Now, if you'll turn to the front side, you see this chart and you'll see top left. What we're going to be giving ourselves to the next uh, seven weeks or so for all of the rest of January and for all of February is asking the question, what does the future hold? And that's always a fascinating thing, but we're not going to look at this in order to tickle our ears or to pique our curiosity. We're going to look at these because the scripture indicates there are some things that we can look forward to and they have significant impact in how we live our days now. It's not just for curiosity for the future, it's for motivation and urgency for how we live now in light of what the future holds. So as we take a, pick, a peek into looking at what the future holds, there's always two questions. First, what, what's going to happen? But much bigger than the what question, I find people have a bigger question. What is it? When, yeah, that's a, there's, yeah, we want to know what, but we really want to know when. And so to frame this series of future things and the when question, I want us to start in Acts 1. So if you would now turn in your scriptures to Acts chapter 1, because there Jesus is going to help us with the when question. So Acts chapter 1, for context, Jesus has lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death, was buried, then raised from the dead. And so the disciples, whom he has now appeared to for 40 days, the disciples have gone from just 
scattered and shocked by his death to this, wow, I can't believe it that he's raised from the dead and now they are gathered together. And he speaks to them, Acts chapter one, verse four, gathering them together, he, Jesus, commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. They had scattered, now they're back in Jerusalem, don't leave, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me, so I've already told you what he's promised, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What do we always want to know? When? He says, not many days from now. What's that mean? Well, wait. And they say, when they had come together, they were asking him. You can probably predict it. They're asking him, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel. We thought that's what you were doing, but then you died. But now you're raised. Is now the time? They think they know the what. What they want to know is the, the when, just like us. When, is this the time? And what's Jesus say? It's not for you to know. The times and the epics, which is a word you always use, or not. So what, what's that? What's the word you always use for that? Date or season. Is this the date? Because that's really what we want to know. What's the date that all this stuff's going to go down? It's not for you to, to know which the Father has fixed by his own authority. He knows, but it's not for you to know. So here's what I want to frame this. Here's why we started here. They wanted to know, and he told them, it's not for you to know. We're going to look at future things. And this whole series, you're going to be waiting for me to say, when? And what I have to say to you is this. It's not for you to know. And I'm not the father. I don't know. So, I will not yield to the temptation or the pressure. So you can save your emails. Because I get them every week. When? You need to be telling us when. There's other pastors that are talking about when. Well, let me disappoint you early. Not in January, not in February. I'm not going to try to answer the question, when? Because I, let me tell you this. The church has looked so foolish over the years. If you've lived long enough and tried to answer the question, when, and looked at other people who have given the question, when, we have looked so foolish when we do that. And it's not just because we don't want to look like fools. We just want to go... Jesus said, it's not for you to know. So why would I give myself to the next seven weeks to try to answer the question that Jesus said, it's not for you to know? So are we going to talk about some stuff that's going to make you go, wow, is that what's happening now? And here's the answer. Is that what's happening now? I don't know. I don't know. What about this current event? I don't know. What about what's happening in the Middle East? I don't know. Because here's what I do know. There's been a lot of stuff happening in the Middle East for a long time. <laughs> Correct? Amen. And how many people have gone, oh, there, right there, right there. And one of our worst moments, folks, do you, some of you my age, you remember Gorbachev? The Antichrist because he had that crazy mark right there on his forehead. Well, guess what? He's not the Antichrist, even though he had that crazy mark on the forehead. But people made, like, wrote books on that stuff. So what's the answer to when? It's not for you to know. Now, you may go on, well, why are we doing the series? Well, because the scripture says, in light of what is to come, we ought to live in a certain way. Way. 
So we're going to look at the what, not the when. We're going to look at the what and the so what. The what and the so what. In other words, what is going to happen and what difference does it make? So, as we look at what Jesus said, he gives them the next what. He says, wait here, and what's going to happen? Maybe you forgot already. What's going to happen? The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. So, the first what that for the disciples that Jesus said, as they wanted to know what's the future, he said, here's what's going to happen. Pentecost is going to happen. Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit comes and indwells all who trust in Jesus by admitting their sin and believing that his death paid the penalty for their sin and received him by faith. Pentecost would take place. And these Consistent arrows are reminders that Pentecost was when it began and it continues to happen. So that when Scott and Sandy, who just shared their stories, when they repented of their sin and believed in Jesus, what happened to them? They were baptized by the Holy Spirit. It didn't happen when they just got dunked over here. That was simply a picture of an inward reality of what had already happened when they trusted in Jesus. They they had been identified with him in death and burial. That's why we put them under the water, but not for three days. And then we raise them up because as they are new people in Christ, and you guys said it, fantastic. You are now new people in Jesus to live new lives according to the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Pentecost got it rolling. Uh, now, let me acknowledge that, that for us, it's kind of the, if, especially if we've grown up in church, it's kind of the only thing we've ever known. Yes, when you believe in Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. That would have been so dramatically different than anything that they had ever understood about the Spirit of God coming upon people. Because in the Old Testament, Prior to what Jesus institutes here, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit only came upon select individuals for select purposes. And this radically changed everything. Now, every person, every person who believes in Jesus and is born again, receives the Spirit of God to now live a new life and put Jesus, who dwells within them, on display to a watching world. Pentecost began what we would understood, understand as the church and what this period of time called the church age, where God himself would dwell in, not just with his people, but in his people. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It won't stop it. And how long is this church age going to last? It's not for you to know. We don't know. It's X number, question mark, number of years. But we do know, though we don't know The when, we do know the what. Because it tells us what is going to happen next. Acts chapter 1, still open there. Acts 1. After he had said these things, verse 9, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. 
They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? Which is kind of a funny question. Pause there for a moment. If, you've, if you would ever see someone who was standing talking to you, and then they started elevating, and they went up, 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 and you could see them, and then all of a sudden they disappeared into the clouds, would you not be looking? I would be. Don't lose the, the wonder of this moment. He had just said to them, it's not for you to know. And some of you have done that with a space shuttle. Let alone like a person who had just been talking to you apart from a ship. This Jesus, watch, who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So as you just watched him go into the cloud and then disappear into the cloud, he will come again in the cloud. And so what will take place next? There will be this, what is referred to the rapture, the taking up, the being caught up with Jesus, where those that described in 1 Thess 4, and we'll look at this in specific next week, where those who are in Christ are raised to meet Christ, <coughs> excuse me, in the cloud. You are all who have trusted in him. Whether they are alive or dead, they'll meet Christ in the cloud. And with the church taken from the earth, the tribulation will begin. The wrath of God being poured out Upon the people left to have not believed in Jesus. This tribulation, Revelation indicates, will last seven years, with the final three and a half years being hell on earth. The seven years of tribulation will end then when Christ returns to earth. Separate from the rapture where we meet him in the clouds, this time he is not in the clouds. He comes completely to planet earth, and this time he does not come alone to meet us. We come, all the saints, with him to the planet. And with the second coming, the millennium, And it's called that because it lasts 1,000 years. The millennial reign of Christ and his people rule on this current earth. And then the scripture indicates that at the end of the 1,000 years, the earth and the heavens as we currently know them will be destroyed by fire. Not just torched, vaporized. That the the earth, which once had been covered with a flood, will now be burned up with fire. And the earth will be, as we know it, no more. And with that will come the great judgment that is described as the great white throne judgment. We'll look at it specifically in February. The great white throne judgment. Where all who are not in the book of life will be judged according to what is written, it says, in the books. Plural. Not the book singular, but judged according to what is written in the books. Plural. And what is written in the books that they will be judged by are their actions. And because they are judged according to their own works, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, because they will be judged according to their own works, all at the great white throne, judged by the books, plural, will be cast into the lake of fire, to hell, for eternal consequence of the wrath of God, while those whose names were written in the book are not judged by their works, but they are 
counted in Christ by faith and judged by the righteousness of Christ which they have received by faith and therefore because they are in Christ they will be with him forever in heaven. And that will be for all eternity which of course is forever. Now, let me, let me make sure you get the big picture here. You have this now, and this is, this is what has always helped me to remember. There is an event that always leads to a new time period. When Jesus said, it's not for you to know, he said, here is what, you don't know the when, but here's what's gonna happen next. After the church age, there will be a rapture. There was Pentecost, then the church age. Then there will be a rapture. The rapture will lead to a new time period on earth like none other, the tribulation. That will end with this event of the second coming, which will lead to a new time period like none other on earth, where Satan is locked up for a thousand years and Christ and his saints reign with him. That will end with an event, the great white throne judgment, where all who have not trusted in Christ will be judged according to their works, which will lead into a new time period like nine other, eternity forever, either in hell or in a new heaven on a new earth with God forever. So here's what's been helpful for me to remember as we talk about future things there are four major events pentecost rapture second coming and the great white throne and four major time periods the church age tribulation the millennium and eternity future what can be difficult and what was always hard for me is this is what I understood. This is how I was taught about future things. But what I struggled with was, how does that reconcile with the book of Revelation? If you're not familiar with the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is the last book in the entire Bible. And it is the account of the Apostle John's vision that God gives to him of the future. And he records it. It's the book of Revelation. How does what we have just seen here lay out in the book of Revelation? And this was super encouraging to me. A couple years ago, I was reading through the scriptures and specifically looking at the book of Revelation going... I know what I understand the future to hold, what. I wasn't looking for the when question. I was just looking at how does the one book that is solely given to the future reconcile with this. And, and if you read, if you did the New Testament in 90 days and you read through Revelation, I imagine you, like me, on numerous mornings went, huh? Did you not? You read through if you think, oh, yeah, I read it and I understand exactly, I don't think we were reading the same thing. Because there's so much here that you go, huh? What? Well, I have no idea. So how, how does this fit with this? And this was super encouraging. You turn there to Revelation from Acts 1, if you would, with me. So I want you to just page through and see a structure that I had not seen until this moment a few years ago. And honestly, I was like, how is it nobody ever showed me this? Revelation, the chapter one, he begins with what's happening, a vision given to him. And then once he gets into the vision given to him, what do the first three chapters hold? Can you see just by headings in your Bible? This will be harder if you, if you have to scroll versus flip. <laughs> you know, what, what do you see? Letters to the 
to the letters to the churches. In fact, actually, Revelation 1 through 3 are letters to the church. Various ones and fascinating ones, worthy, worthy of our study. We looked at one, the letter to the church at Ephesus that John would have written some 50 years after when we had studied the letter ourselves here at the chapel. Chapter 4, we move from letters to churches to what? What do you see? Chapter 4, how's it open? After these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. Come here, I will show you what must take place after these things. He had just written letters to the churches, and now he says, now let me show you what have to take place after these things, after the church age. And what we get in chapter 4 and chapter 5 is worship in heaven. You don't ever get the word rapture, but you get what you would picture of when we meet Christ in the clouds and we are with him, you get worship in heaven. Chapter 4 and 5, from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. Chapter 6, complete change. What happens? Can you see? The seals, the lamb, Jesus, who is the authority to open the seals, begins to open the seals. And what are the seals? Well, maybe your Bible helps you see. The rider on white horse, then war, famine, death, martyrs, and terror. Chapter 6 through, and you can page through. Chapter 6 through, the whole way through chapter 18, deal with the seven years of tribulation on earth. 6 through 18, run through the seals and the trumpets and the bowls, the pouring out of the judgment of God upon earth. Chapter 6 through 18, introduce us to the major characters that happened during this seven years. We're introduced to the false prophet and the Antichrist and to the 144,000 Jews as witnesses in that time period. So chapter 6 through 18, you get the tribulation. Guess what you get in, in Revelation 19 then? Go ahead and look. What do you get? You get a scene now back in heaven where the marriage feast of the Lamb. And with the marriage feast of the Lamb, you get the saints clothed in white linen on white horses following Christ who is on a white horse doing what? coming back to earth. So chapter 19, you get the second coming. Guess what do you get when you get to the beginning of chapter 20? Chapter 20, <laughs> you get Satan locked up for how long? A thousand years where Christ and his saints reign in the millennium. Chapter, 11, chapter 20, Halfway through verse 11, after the millennium, you get the description of the great white throne judgment. Chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. And then you can probably predict final two chapters in the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22. A description of New Jerusalem, the new heaven on the new earth where we will be with the Lord forever. Now, I don't know <laughs> about you, but that was fantastic for me to go, huh. Though not everyone, and I want to be clear about this, though not everyone who loves the Lord and believes the Bible would see it happening this way, I was pretty encouraged that actually that's how overall the structure of Revelation lays out. Church age, worship in heaven. 
as saints are gathered up. Seven years of tribulation, the return of Christ, the establishing of his reign for a thousand years as Satan is locked up, the final destruction of this earth with the great white throne judgment and the determining of where all will spend eternity future, either in hell or with the Lord for a new, in a new heaven on a new earth. It's actually all right here. There's a bunch of specifics, especially from chapter 6 through 18, that you go, I do not understand what all of this symbolism represents. I don't. There's a lot of it that makes me go, what the world is going on here? Here's my great encouragement, and we'll get there. I'm not here. I'm not here. And woe to the folks who are. So, what do we want to know? We generally want to know, when's this new heaven and new earth, when's that going to happen? <laughs> when, when is it going to happen? <laughs> right after the great white throne judgment. <laughs> Which is going to happen when? At the end of the millennium, which is going to happen when? After Christ returns to earth, which is going to happen when? After the seven-year tribulation, which is going to happen when? After Christ meets his church in the air, which is going to happen when? It's not for you to know. <laughs> See, the next thing is what exactly Jesus said. It's not for you to know. Go back there now to Acts chapter one, because again, if you're wondering, why are we starting here? Because it was Jesus finishing up his earthly ministry and everybody wanted to know what would happen next. And Jesus said, here is what's going to happen next. Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. Well, when are you going to set up your kingdom? It's not for you to know. That's what he says in chapter 1, verse 7. It's not for me to know the when. Man, I want to know the when. It's not for me to know the when. So what I do with all this curiosity? What do I do with this desire, this longing? First word of the next verse. First word of the next verse, but. Actually, chapter one, verse eight of Acts is one of the verses most of us know. We just have lost sense of why Jesus said what he said in chapter one, verse eight. What's verse eight say? It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem where you are and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Why did Jesus say you're to be my witnesses? Because they wanted to know the when. And he says, it's not for you to know the when, but it is for you to do what? It's to share the gospel. What's coming? He tells you. When? Not for you to know. But it is for you to... It is for you... When the Spirit comes upon you to share the gospel. What's next? <laughs> Meet Christ. When? I don't know. So we know the what. What's the so what? Share the gospel. So friends, we're probably, all of us, on one extreme or another. And you will know who you are when I describe you. Listen. Some of us are in that place like, I love prophecy. I love future stuff. I cannot get enough. I am so curious. I'm always reading and wondering, is this then? Is this? And it's like, 
obsession. You know what the Lord wants? The Lord wants to take your obsession with future things and turn it into an urgency, an obsession with sharing the gospel. To give up that need to know when and embrace the so what. Share the gospel. A number of others are in this camp. Prophecy, confusing. I don't like confusing. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I'm just interested in what's going on in, in my world and my family. And we're not obsessed. We're just kind of ambivalent. And we need the same word from the Lord. You've received the Holy Spirit. For what purpose? To have power in sharing the gospel. If you're, if you're ambivalent about future things, if you're not curious, if, if your like, interest isn't like super piqued by future stuff, then understand the Holy Spirit has come upon you if you have trusted in Jesus in order that you would share the gospel until when? Until we meet him. And if you're obsessed with it, it's the same thing. Turn that obsession to urgency. Because the reality is, he is coming. And for all who do not know him and are alive when he comes, it's going to be hell on earth. That, is that motivation to share the gospel? Is that legitimate motivation? Yes. Is love for the Lord and wanting to be with him, motivation and obedience to him, legitimate motivation for sharing the gospel? Yes. Is being the body of Christ, but now the spirit of God now dwells in me to do the work of God through me? Is that motivation, the spirit of God in me, to share the gospel? Yes. So, as we consider future things and all that's going to unfold, I have a, a so what question for you. When's the last time you actually shared the gospel with somebody? That can be a compelling question. Not had a good conversation, not a church conversation, not a God conversation, a gospel conversation. Some of you are thinking, man, I just had a fantastic conversation just last week. And others are thinking, uh, I can't remember. And the so what to future things from Jesus to us, to me, is speak up, Doug. Share the gospel. That's why we're here. That's why we have not met him in the clouds yet. That's why Jesus, listen, that's why Jesus prayed for those who said, when, when, Jesus, when? That's why he prayed, Lord, don't take them out of this world. As you have sent me, I am sending them. So let me ask you, would you be, and this is a very personal question, this is not a corporate question. This is a personal question. Would you be willing this week, in light of what we've just seen in the scripture and what the future holds, would you, would you be willing this week to say, Lord, would you give me an opportunity to speak the gospel to someone this week? Would you be willing to do that? It's a personal question. Would you be willing to say, Lord, by your grace and according to the power of the Spirit, 
I'm going to speak the gospel to one person, at least one person this week. I think the Lord, no, strike that. I know that's his intention. Would you be his mouthpiece? What would keep you from doing that? Here's what usually keeps us. Fear. Ah. You're, you're, here's, I know. You're going to suddenly go, oh my. I, I asked, I said on Sunday, Lord, I'll be that person in the house. Here's the opportunity. I need a class. You don't need a class. Seriously, you don't need a class. You have the Holy Spirit. And I'll take the Holy Spirit over a class any day of the week. Right? This is what the scripture says. He will give you the words you need when you step into the opportunity he gives you. So it's going to be right there for all of us. It's going to be right there for all of us who say, Lord, I want to be your mouthpiece. I want to do what you've left me on earth to do. I want to do what you've said. This is what matters in light of what's coming. I want to do that. He's going to give an opportunity. And that door is going to open. And that's going to be your moment. This is actually the easiest moment right now. To say, yeah, Lord. And in that moment, Here's what I want you to do. Ready? In that moment, I want you to go, oh, Lord, I am freaked out. (laughs) But the Spirit of God lives in me to give me power to do what you've said. That's what it said, right? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. Why did he say that? Because he does not want us to be preoccupied with the when. He wants us to be urgent with the so what. Can you imagine? Seriously, can you imagine if really we as the people of God literally said this week, Lord, we want to share the gospel with at least one person. How many more gospel shares that would be this week? By the power of the Spirit. Maybe you've never experienced the Lord meeting you in your time of need like you would this week if you'd say, Lord, I, wanna, I want to do what you've called me to do in light of what you said is coming. So bow with me. Lord, it's clear. The what and the so what. Would you, it's personal, if you were prepared to trust the Lord and the spirit of God in you, to be his mouthpiece this week, would you say to the Lord, Lord, I want to be your mouthpiece. I'll be scared, but I want to step in to the opportunity this week. And I want to be bold. Not just keep it at church and God, but to the gospel. It's up to you, Lord, what you do with that conversation and what you do in the person's heart who hears it. But Lord, I want to speak it. And thank you in advance that you'll give us, no, I don't say that, that you have given us what we need. Amen. So the scripture says that when we take the Lord's Supper together, we proclaim his death until he comes. Did you know that? 1 Corinthians 11. When we take the Lord's Supper, we are proclaiming his death, the gospel, until he comes. So having 
committed ourselves to do that this week. I wanted us to share the Lord's Supper together and I'm gonna invite the men to come and, and they are going to pass the elements and we are going to proclaim with our voices together. Go ahead, guys. Somebody help me here and go ahead and start passing. Thanks. Thanks. You guys can pass as they're passing. How in doing this are we proclaiming the gospel? This way. You know what this unleavened wafer, wafer here represents? It represents the body of Christ. That he suffered in our place. That he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. This cup reminds us of the blood of Jesus by which our sin is forgiven, taken out of the way so that we who deserve the judgment and the condemnation of God are set free and we are no longer slaves to sin. So when we take this, we are preaching the gospel. We're proclaiming it. And here's what we're going to proclaim this week. That God demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners deserving, Christ died for us. And that he who knew no sin became sin for us. So that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. I want to invite you. Let's proclaim his death and his reign as we sing along in this song and then we'll take together.
we do this, we proclaim the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Whoever would believe in him would have the Spirit of God dwell within him so that they would walk an abundant life and eternal life. Let's take in remembrance of our Savior. Would you stand? Let's continue to worship. Death is done, we'll see your face bright as the sun. We'll bow before the King of Kings. Oh God, forever we will see. Oh God, forever we will see. in us to do the work of God through us for, so that more people would find life in Jesus. Would we go and be his voice and his instrument and his body today. Let's take that challenge. Let's share the good news, the redemption that we have received that is for everyone. So let's talk. Let's do it. Uh, we can through the power of the Spirit. And if we can pray for you, uh, we have men and women available for prayer between the auditoriums. Um, it'd be their privilege to pray. God bless. We'll see you next time.